This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eva Marie. Alexander's Bridge by Willa Cather. Chapter 1. Late one brilliant April afternoon, Professor Lucas Wilson stood at the head of Chestnut Street, looking about him with the pleased air of a man of taste who does not very often get to Boston. He had lived there as a student, but for twenty years or more, since he had been professor of philosophy in a western university, he had seldom come east, except to take a steamer for some foreign port. Wilson was standing quite still contemplating with a whimsical smile the slanting street with its worn paving its irregular gravelly colored houses and the row of naked trees on which the thin sunlight was still shining the gleam of the river at the foot of the hill made him blink a little not so much because it was too bright because he found it so pleasant the few passers-by glanced at him unconcernedly and even the children who hurried along with their school-bags under their arms seemed to find it perfectly natural that a tall brown gentleman should be standing there looking up through his glasses at the gray housetops the sun sank rapidly the silvery light had faded from the bare boughs and the watery twilight was setting in when wilson at last walked down the hill descending into cooler and cooler depths of the grayish shadow his nostril long unused to it was quick to detect the smell of wood-smoke in the air, blended with the odor of moist spring earth and the saltiness that came up the river with the tide. He crossed Charles Street between jangling street-cars and shelving-lumber drays, and after a moment of uncertainty wound into Brimmer Street. The street was quiet, deserted, and hung with a thin bluish haze. He had already fixed his sharp eye upon the house which he reasoned should be his objective point, when he noticed a woman approaching rapidly from the opposite direction. Always an interested observer of women, Wilson would have slackened his pace anywhere to follow this one with his impersonal, appreciative glance. She was a person of distinction he saw at once, and moreover very handsome. She was tall, carried her beautiful head proudly, and moved with ease and certainty. One immediately took for granted the costly privileges of fine spaces that must lie in the background from which such a figure could emerge with this rapid and elegant gait. Wilson noted her dress, too, for in his way he had an eye for such things, particularly her brown furs and her hat. He got a blurred impression of her fine color, the violets she wore, her white gloves, and, curiously enough, of her veil as she turned up a flight of steps in front of him and disappeared. Wilson was able to enjoy lovely things that passed him on the wing as completely and deliberately as if they had been dug-up marvels, long anticipated, and definitely fixed at the end of the railway journey. For a few pleasurable seconds he quite forgot where he was going, and only after the door had closed behind her did he realize that the young woman had entered the house to which he had directed his trunk from the south station this morning he hesitated a moment before mounting the steps can that he murmured in amazement can that possibly have been mrs alexander 
When the servant admitted him, Mrs. Alexander was still standing in the hallway. She heard him give his name, and came forward holding out her hand. "'Is it you indeed, Professor Wilson? I was afraid that you might get here before I did. I was detained at a concert, and Bartley telephoned that he would be late. Thomas will show you your room. Had you rather have your tea brought to you there, or will you have it down here with me while we wait for Bartley?' Wilson was pleased to find that he had been the cause of her rapid walk, and with her he was even more vastly pleased than before. He followed her through the drawing-room into the library, where the wide back windows looked out upon the garden and the sunset and a fine stretch of silver-colored river. A harp-shaped elm stood stripped against the pale-colored evening sky, with ragged last year's birds' nests in its forks and through the bare branches the evening star quivered in the misty air. The long brown room breathed the peace of a rich and amply guarded quiet. Tea was brought in immediately and placed in front of the wood fire. Mrs. Alexander sat down in a high-backed chair and began to pour it, while Wilson sank into a low seat opposite her and took his cup with a great sense of ease and harmony and comfort. "'You have had a long journey, haven't you?' Mrs. Alexander asked, after showing gracious concern about his tea. "'And I am so sorry Bartley is late. He's often tired when he's late. He flatters himself that it is a little on his account that you have come to the Congress of Psychologists.' "'It is,' Wilson assented, selecting his muffin carefully. "'And I hope he won't be tired to-night.' But on my own account, I'm glad to have a few moments alone with you before Bartley comes. I was somehow afraid that my knowing him so well would not put me in the way of getting to know you. That is very nice of you, she nodded at him above her cup and smiled. But there was a little formal tightness in her tone, which had not been there when she greeted him in the hall. Wilson leaned forward. Have I said something awkward? I live very far out of the world, you know, and I don't mean that you would exactly fade dim, even if Bartley were here. Mrs. Alexander laughed relentingly. Oh, I'm not so vain. How terribly discerning you are. She looked straight at Wilson, and he felt that this quick, frank glance brought about an understanding between them. He liked everything about her, he told himself but he particularly liked her eyes. When she looked at one directly for a moment, they were like a glimpse of fine, windy sky that may bring all sorts of weather. Since you noticed something, Mrs. Alexander went on, it must have been a flash of the distrust I have come to feel whenever I meet any of the people who knew Bartley when he was a boy. It is always as if they were talking of someone I had never met. Really, Professor Wilson, it would seem he grew up among the strangest people. They usually say he has turned out very well, or remark that he always was a fine fellow. I never know what reply to make. Wilson chuckled and leaned back in his chair, shaking his left foot gently. I expect the fact is that we none of us knew him very well, Mrs. Alexander, though I will say for myself that I was always confident he'd do something extraordinary. Mrs. Alexander's shoulders gave a slight movement, suggestive of impatience. Oh, I should think that might have been a safe prediction. Another cup, please? Yes, thank you. 
but predicting in the case of boys is not so easy as you might imagine mrs alexander some get a bad hurt early and lose their courage and some never get a fair wind bartley he dropped his chin on the back of his long hand and looked at her admiringly bartley caught the wind early and has sung in its sails ever since mrs alexander sat looking into the fire with intent preoccupation and wilson studied her half-averted face he liked the suggestion of stormy possibilities in the proud curve of her lip and nostril without that he reflected she would be too cold i should like to know what he was really like when he was a boy i don't believe he remembers she said suddenly won't you smoke mr wilson wilson lit a cigarette no i don't suppose he does he was never introspective he was simply the most tremendous response to stimuli i had ever known we didn't know exactly what to do with him a servant came in and noiselessly removed the tea-tray mrs alexander screened her face from the firelight which was beginning to throw wavering bright spots on her dress and hair as the dusk deepened of course she said i now and again hear stories about things that happened when he was in college but that isn't what you want wilson wrinkled his brows and looked at her with the smiling familiarity that had come about so quickly what you want is a picture of him standing back there at the other end of twenty years you want to look down through my memory she dropped her hands in her lap yes yes that's exactly what i want at this moment they heard the front door shut with a jar and wilson laughed as mrs alexander rose quickly there he is away with perspective no past no future for bartley just the fiery moment the only moment that ever was or will be in the world the door from the hall opened a voice called winifred hurriedly a big man came through the drawing-room with a quick heavy tread bringing with him the smell of cigar smoke and chill out-of-doors air when alexander reached the library door he switched on the lights and stood six feet or more in the archway glowing with strength and cordiality and rugged blonde good looks there were other bridge builders in the world certainly but it was always alexander's picture that the sunday supplement men wanted because he looked as a tamer of rivers ought to look under his tumbled sandy hair his head seemed as hard and powerful as a catapult and his shoulders looked strong enough in themselves to support a span of any one of his ten great bridges that cut the air above as many rivers after dinner alexander took wilson up to his study it was a large room over the library and looked out upon the black river and the row of white lights along the cambridge embankment the room was not at all what one might expect of an engineer's study wilson felt at once the harmony of beautiful things that have lived long together without obtrusions of ugliness or change it was none of alexander's doing of course those warm consonances of color had been blending and mellowing before he was born but the wonder was that he was not out of place there that it all seemed to glow like the inevitable background for his vigor and vehemence he sat before the fire his shoulders deep in the cushions of his chair his powerful head upright his hair rumpled above his broad forehead 
He sat heavily, a cigar in his large smooth hand, a flush of after-dinner color in his face, which wind and sun and exposure to all sorts of weather had left fair and clear-skinned. "'You are off for England on Saturday, Bartley,' Mrs. Alexander tells me. "'Yes, for a few weeks only. There's a meeting of British engineers, and I'm doing another bridge in Canada, you know.' "'Oh, everyone knows about that. And it was in Canada that you met your wife, wasn't it?' "'Yes, at Alway. She was visiting her great-aunt there, a most remarkable old lady.' I was working with Mick Keller then, an old Scottish engineer who had picked me up in London and taken me back to Quebec with him. He had the contract for the Alway Bridge, but before he began work on it he found out that he was going to die, and he advised the committee to turn the job over to me. Otherwise I'd never got anything good so early. McKellar was an old friend of Mrs. Pemberton, Winifred's aunt. He had mentioned me to her, so when I went to Alway, she asked me to come to see her. She was a wonderful old lady. Like her niece? Wilson queried. Bartley laughed. She had been very handsome, but not in Winifred's way. When I knew her, she was little and fragile, very pink and white, with a splendid head and a face like fine old lace, somehow. But perhaps... I always think of that because she wore a lace scarf in her hair. She had such a flavor of life about her. She had known Gordon and Livingstone and Beaconsfield when she was young, every one. She was the first woman of that sort I'd ever known. You know how it was in the West. Old people are poked out of the way. Aunt Eleanor fascinated me, as few young women have ever done. I used to go up from the works to have tea with her and sit talking to her for hours. It was very stimulating, for she couldn't tolerate stupidity. "'It must have been then that your luck began, Bartley,' said Wilson, flicking his cigar-ash with his long finger. "'It's curious watching boys,' he went on reflectively. "'I'm sure I did you justice in the matter of ability. Yet I always used to feel that there was a weak spot where some day strain would tell. Even after you began to climb, I stood down in the crowd and watched you with—' well not with confidence the more dazzling the front you presented the higher your facade rose the more i expected to see a big crack zigzagging from top to bottom he indicated its course in the air with his forefinger then a crash and clouds of dust it was curious i had such a clear picture of it and another curious thing bartley wilson spoke with deliberateness and settled deeper into his chair is that I don't feel it any longer. I am sure of you. Alexander laughed. Nonsense. It's not I you feel sure of. It's Winifred. People often make that mistake. No, I'm serious, Alexander. You've changed. You have decided to leave some birds in the bushes. You used to want them all. Alexander's chair creaked. I still want a good many, he said rather gloomily. After all, Life doesn't offer a man much. You work like the devil and think you're getting on, and suddenly you discover that you've only been getting yourself tied up. A million details drink you dry. Your life keeps going for things you don't want, and all the while you are being built alive into a social structure you don't care a rap about. 
i sometimes wonder what sort of chap i'd have been if i hadn't been this sort i want to go and live out his potentialities too i haven't forgotten that there are birds in the bushes bartley stopped and sat frowning into the fire his shoulders thrust forward as if he were about to spring at something wilson watched him wondering his old pupil always stimulated him at first and then vastly wearied him the machinery was always pounding away in this man and wilson preferred companions of a more reflective habit of mind he could not help feeling that there were unreasoning and unreasonable activities going on in alexander all the while that even after dinner when most men achieve a decent impersonality bartley had merely closed the door of the engine-room and come up for an airing the machinery itself was still pounding on bartley's abstraction and wilson's reflections were cut short by a rustle at the door and almost before they could rise mrs alexander was standing by the hearth alexander brought a chair for her but she shook her head no dear thank you i only came in to see whether you and professor wilson were quite comfortable i am going down to the music-room why not practice here wilson and i are growing very dull we are tired of talk yes i beg you mrs alexander wilson began but he got no further why certainly if you won't find me too noisy i am working on the schumann carnival and though i don't practice a great many hours i am very methodical mrs alexander explained as she crossed to an upright piano that stood at the back of the room near the windows wilson followed her and having seen her seated dropped into a chair behind her she played brilliantly and with great musical feeling wilson could not imagine her permitting herself to do anything badly but he was surprised at the cleanness of her execution he wondered how a woman with so many duties had managed to keep herself up to a standard really professional it must take a great deal of time certainly and bartley must take a great deal of time wilson reflected that he had never before known a woman who had been able for any considerable while to support both a personal and an intellectual passion sitting behind her he watched her with perplexed admiration shading his eyes with his hand in her dinner dress she looked even younger than in the street clothes and for all her composure and self-sufficiency she seemed to him strangely alert and vibrating as if in her too there were something never altogether at rest he felt that he knew pretty much what she demanded in people and what she demanded from life and he wondered how she squared bartley after ten years she must know him and however one took him however much one admired him one had to admit that he simply wouldn't square he was a natural force certainly but beyond that wilson felt he was not anything very really or for very long at a time wilson glanced toward the fire where bartley's profile was still wreathed in cigar smoke that curled up more and more slowly his shoulders were sunk deep in the cushions and one hand hung large and passive over the arm of his chair he had slipped on a purple velvet smoking coat his wife wilson surmised had chosen it she was clearly very proud of his good looks and his fine color but with the glow of an immediate interest gone out of it the engineer's face looked tired 
even a little haggard. The three lines in his forehead, directly above his nose, deepened as he sat thinking, and his powerful head dropped forward heavily. Although Alexander was only forty-three, Wilson thought that beneath his vigorous color he detected the dulling weariness of oncoming middle age. The next afternoon, at the hour when the river was beginning to redden under the declining sun, Wilson again found himself facing Mrs. Alexander at the tea-table in the library. "'Well,' he remarked when he was bidden to give an account of himself, there was a long morning with the psychologists, luncheon with Bartley at his club, more psychologists, and here I am. I've looked forward to this hour all day.' Mrs. Alexander smiled at him across the vapor from the kettle. "'And do you remember where we stopped yesterday?' "'Perfectly. I was going to show you a picture. But I doubt whether I have color enough in me. Bartley makes me feel a faded monochrome. You can't get at the young Bartley except by means of color.' Wilson paused and deliberated. Suddenly he broke out. "'He wasn't a remarkable student, you know.' though he was always strong in higher mathematics. His work in my own department was quite ordinary. It was as a powerfully equipped nature that I found him interesting. That is the most interesting thing a teacher can find. It has the fascination of a scientific discovery. We come across other pleasing and endearing qualities so much oftener than we find force. And after all, said Mrs. Alexander, that is the thing we all live upon. It is the thing that takes us forward. Wilson thought she spoke a little wistfully. Exactly, he assented warmly. It builds the bridges into the future, over which the feet of every one of us will go. How interested I am to hear you put it in that way. The bridges into the future. I often say that to myself. Bartley's bridges always seem to me like that. Have you ever seen his first suspension bridge in Canada, the one he was doing when I first knew him? I hope you will see it some time. We were married as soon as it was finished, and you will laugh when I tell you that it always has a rather bridal look to me. It is over the wildest river, with the mists and clouds always battling about it, and it is as delicate as a cobweb hanging in the sky. It really was a bridge into the future. You have only to look at it to feel it meant the beginning of a great career. But I have a photograph of it here. She drew a portfolio from behind a bookcase. And there, you see, on the hill, is my aunt's house. Wilson took up the photograph. Bartley was telling me something about your aunt last night. She must have been a delightful person. Winifred laughed. The bridge, you see, was just at the foot of the hill and the noise of the engines annoyed her very much at first. But after she met Bartley, she pretended to like it, and said it was a good thing to be reminded that there were things going on in the world. She loved life, and Bartley brought a great deal of it to her when he came to the house. Aunt Eleanor was very worldly in a frank, early Victorian manner. She liked men of action, and disliked young men who were careful of themselves, and who, as she put it, were always trimming their wicks, as if they were afraid of their oils going out. McKellar, Bartley's first chief, was an old friend of my aunt, and he told her that Bartley was a wild, ill-governed youth, which really pleased her very much. 
I remember we were sitting alone in the dusk after Bartley had been there for the first time. I knew that Aunt Eleanor found him much to her taste, but she hadn't said anything. Presently she came out with a chuckle. McKellar found him sowing wild oats in London, I believe. I hope he didn't stop him too soon. Life coquettes with dashing fellows. The coming men are always like that. We must have him to dinner, my dear. And we did. She grew much fonder of Bartley than she was of me. I had been studying in Vienna, and she thought that absurd. She was interested in the army and in politics, and she had a great contempt for music and art and philosophy. She used to declare that the Prince Consort had brought all that stuff over out of Germany. She always sniffed when Bartley asked me to play for him. She considered that a newfangled way of making a match of it. When Alexander came in a few moments later, he found Wilson and his wife still confronting the photograph. "'Oh, let us get that out of the way,' he said, laughing. "'Winifred, Thomas can bring my trunk down. I've decided to go over to New York tomorrow night and take a fast boat. I shall save two days.'" End of chapter 1